Okay. Well, as we begin, uh, I thought since it was uh, President's Day um, and a lot of kids are off school, uh, I found a couple of uh, uh, instances where students are uh, uh, creative, shall we say, like like this one. Uh, this is Dr. A. Hedge Hedge Hedgega who says, whoever keeps adding OG to the end of my door sign, stop it. Dr. Hedge Hog. <laughs> you see somebody putting a little OG on there, so keeps coming out Dr. Hedge Hog. Uh, uh, that's good. Uh, this one might have come right out of Plano. Uh, that was some enterprising uh, students in the middle of the night thought baseball would be um, more interesting if you planted a tree halfway between the pitcher's mound and home plate. <laughs> not bad, not bad, that's pretty creative. But not as creative as this kid who had to come to school early to college and he was hungry, so what he did is he brought uh, a griddle <laughs> and thought he'd cook up pancakes and bacon for everybody in his class. That's pretty creative. Uh, or the or the uh, college band that thought that had a, had a student they knew that was dragging a little bit in his life, and what he really needed was to be followed around all day on campus with a band playing the the Rocky theme song. <laughs> uh, that I think that would get old really fast, right? Okay. Uh, and then unfortunately, as we know, some kids should be in school. Uh, some kids probably need to be doing something else. Uh, I just don't have any explanation for that. But I guess he's comfortable in his own skin, giraffely speaking. Okay, I want to I want to start uh, today with uh, this is really an inter this is going to be an interesting class. There's some really good stuff here, uh, but I want to talk about for, just for a second. I want to talk about the Galatian flu. Uh, you never heard of the Galatian flu, but you're going to certainly uh, know it when I start describing it. Uh, at the end of last class, we were talking about how. Uh, Paul has this, you know, his experience in in Antioch, where he's he's kind of calling Peter out right in front of the the church because Peter won't eat with the Gentiles, uh, and then he's he finds out the Galatians are backsliding on him, so he's mad at them, and he's going, you know, who has bewitched you? And he's just really kind of upset. Then he go. Then they go on a second mission. Let's go back and check on the Galatians. And what happens here in Acts 16? It says they went through the region of Phygeria and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So they're being, they're going back through these places that their old mission haunts where they were, but they're not, they can drop off the letter from the first presidency in Jerusalem saying you don't have to be circumcised, but they're not supposed to be preaching the word. 
Well, how frustrating is that? Okay, and then it says that uh, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, then they came to Mysia and they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them to do so. And they passed through Mysia and came down to Troas. Now, what you get here is a sense of the fact that we know from the book of Galatians that as Paul and Silas are going through these areas, they can see everybody backsliding and they can see him struggling. And he's upset and he's worried and he writes the, in all of his emotional upset, he writes the letter of Galatians back to these guys and go, what are you thinking? We've taught you and we can't believe it. And what are you doing? And, and he's just stirred up, but he can't preach to him. So then we see him kind of wandering through northern Turkey and the spirit won't let him go here and the spirit won't let him go there. And he just kind of aimlessly makes his way over to Troas. Now, Here's, let me ask you, what, what you get here is a sense of a zealous missionary who had the angry experience with Peter. He's upset at the Galatians. He's, he's really depressed that they're not listening. And I thought I preached, I may have preached to you in vain. And he will say that several times. And the spirit says, no, don't teach. <laughs> and don't teach there. And don't teach there. Yeah. Because you're angry, and that can't be. Absolutely. Is the problem with the Galatians and the backsliders, or is it with the teacher who doesn't have... Who is emotionally... Absolutely. Here you have a case where you have a, a great teacher who's emotionally distraught, and he's just not in a place to hear the Spirit. All he can really hear from the Spirit is don't. Now, let me ask... Have we ever have we ever had that experience where where we have been stressed or anxious or depressed or upset or angry or vengeful and the spirit would like to lead us and guide us and direct us but all but it can't because it can't get through the wall of stress or anxiety or vengeance or anger or depression and, and that's, what I, that's what I'm referring to as the Galatian flu. Isn't it interesting that at those times when perhaps we need the Spirit the most, that our own emotional state blocks us from hearing the voice we need to hear the most? How do we wrestle? How do, how do we fight through that? How do we, at the time when we need it, where the depression, the anxiety, the ang stops us from hearing the very stuff we need to hear. Yeah. I take comfort in knowing that it's still there, even if I can't currently feel it. Okay. You know that it's somewhere out here. Right now, it's just not penetrating my emotional fog. But you believe somehow your faith tells you it is. It's a really foggy day, and I believe somewhere the sun is shining. I just can't see it where I am at the moment. Okay? Yeah? So this discussion gives me a little bit of understanding about the commandment, be still and know that I am God. You're in the wrong place. You need to stop 
be still and know that I am God, and then we can move forward together. But we don't want to be still, right? <laughs> we wait. I, 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 my life is going really cruddy. I need help now. If the Lord doesn't move, He won't get His Eagle Scout. Dang it! And it's got. We got to wake Him up immediately. Now, on my timetable. Or I have what even more. Let's say that you've been going through a period of depression, and it's just, and your inside voices are telling you just how worthless you are, and you're really needing the Spirit to come along and give you counsel, but your own depression is blocking you from being able to hear the very voice you need. How do we do this? How how do we fight through this? Do you think? Yeah. So some of this is just a patience. I'm going to have to wait through this until maybe some of the dust settles. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So sometimes fasting, maybe if you get hungry enough, <laughs> it'll settle things down. Okay, yeah. Now, yesterday, radio receiver is it the broadcast or is it the receiver that's is, yeah efficient uh, and be comforted in knowing that the broadcast is always there we're just not receiving yeah, the, yeah and, and, but I think the problem is, especially if when we are, if our depression is based in the idea of maybe we're not very worthy or maybe it's our past that's getting in the way or that maybe people don't like us very much I think it's easy to lose sight of the fact that it is there because maybe it's there and so all you got to do is go to fast and testimony meeting right and every, it seems to be broadcasting to everybody else everybody else seems to be getting answers you know I've, I've always joked about uh, the, the, the people that would get up in fast and testimony meeting and they would say I took my family camping in the middle of the night. You know, the, the Lord said, get up and move your tent. Because, you know, and it didn't tell me why, but I woke the whole family up and we got up and we moved our tent in the middle of a storm somewhere else. And then the tree fell later right where our tent had been. And I'm so grateful that the Lord, you know, and, and, and it's probably a true story. But then how many others are sitting there going, oh, it fell on our tent. <laughs> <laughs> come the Lord told them to move the tent but I got nothing you know and maybe maybe you're more in tune than I'm in tune what is the problem here okay so yeah um, I think the adversary loves to isolate us and so when you're sad and people say pray and read the scriptures it's just you So sometimes, okay, can I, I'll rephrase that a little bit. So sometimes if we're in the middle of our own personal fog, 
depression, anxiety, stress, whatever it is. And we know we're not in a place to be hearing that voice. What you're saying is sometimes we can trust somebody else who maybe is above the clouds and feeling the sun who can say, you're not as bad as your head says you are. <clears throat> and there is sun waiting over here when the clouds roll off. Gotta be careful though. Yes. So another, is there somebody that you know right away? And I think sometimes we do that in trying to get a blessing that we're going to trust that somebody else is hearing what we can't hear. I think that's true. Okay? I had another hand over here. Yeah. Um, sometimes you just need to talk. They just need to listen and you don't need their advice at all. <laughs> they're talking, you're just listening? No, you're talking. Oh, you're talking and they're listening. Right, right. Go find out in the stillness of nature and things. Yeah. Ah, I like that. Ah, I like that. Okay, Sister Colton. Do you think that's because maybe you've lived enough life where you have seen these cycles and you and it looked pretty dark and then you finally so it's happened enough times to know that the sun will come up eventually. Yeah, I think so too. So sometimes we just have a little more experience. Yeah. Also, <clears throat> those are my thoughts. You know, it's not the very first time that it's, that it's happened to me, and, and I know because of the cycle that you say, it's sort of like the flu. You know that it's it's, it's going to last, but sooner or later it's going to just just yeah. And then you'll be able to go back to your normal self. So. I know that these times will come in my life, and all I have to do is just to endure those times and just do the best that I can, which is what I do every day. And sooner or later, I'll go through and then I'll be right back. Because again, you're drawing on your experiences to say this is a cycle. This happens. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite quotes from C.S. Lewis is uh, uh, sometimes, how did he say it? Um, our problem is, is that we believe that we can do always what we can only do sometimes. <laughs> we, things are going so well, we can't believe there will ever be a downside ever again. We got life figured out, and then the downside comes. Um, as we're looking at this experience with Paul, where he's just wandering, and, he's just, and you just see this aimlessness... Uh, that we, we, have a, we have an example from church history where Joseph Smith goes from the, from the uh, power of the Kirtland Temple and angels and his experiences in the Kirtland Temple to a year, a year later, they start to experience 
the, the problems with the Kirtland Safety Society and, and, and people start to fall away from the church and then it gets so bad that he has to then leave Kirtland, beloved Kirtland, in the middle of the night and make his way to Missouri where they've already been kicked out of Jackson County. They're about to be kicked out of Caldwell County uh, and, he get, and now they're just hanging on fighting for their lives. And then he goes from that wonderful experience about six months to then being incarcerated in Liberty Jails, then spending four months in Liberty Jail, and then, and then they're able to escape Liberty Jail and make his way like a wet pup in the middle of the winter into Illinois and to start to, re, to build Nauvoo. And we get about a year and a half of Joseph Smith going, going from the high of the Kirtland Temple experience to nothing. No revelation, nothing's happening. Uh, in, in Far West, he is almost a non-entity. You're listening to Sidney Rigdon, you're listening to other voices that are speaking up, and Joseph's in the background. Joseph was in a really deep, dark funk for about a year. I think he was. He's, at, he's just wandering. He's just not... Everything he had promised the saints, none of it was happening. And I just think he was doubting him. So I think that was, that was his wilderness darkness experience and it goes on for about 18 months. And, I think, and, and if we see these experiences like Joseph Smith and like Paul with the Galatian flu, they go, it happens. Even the best of people are going to have funks where they get depressed or they get anxious. Maybe, it's, maybe they've got a genetic depression that hits them. Maybe they've got kids that's struggling and the stress of that is hard. I don't know what I'll contribute. Maybe you're going through a loss of a job. All I know is that at those moments, it's harder to hear the Spirit. At those moments, the Spirit can't penetrate our psychic pain as much as it can at times when we're at peace. That's what I know. Now, how you prepare for that or how you get through that or, like you said, sometimes you've been through that cycle enough that you go, I think it will, I think I will get better because it has happened to me before. I just think we have to be emotionally prepared for the times when the Spirit won't be there at the moment when you really feel like you need it the most. And I, and I think we're watching Paul do that. Does that make sense? So, in the middle of all, yeah. Yeah, what he's following the spirit. He's not being really told what to do. He's just being told what he can't do. Don't go there. Don't go there. Yes. Okay. So I won't go there. But where do I go? I don't know. So we get this wandering. Okay. You know, you know Sometimes you just keep your keep your feet moving. Do something good. Do something that 
I, I love that. If, if, if you're not hearing that, what she's saying is, I think there are times when, when we're really struggling and it, and it feels like the Lord has abandoned us and the Spirit is just not being able to break through uh, our pain. That sometimes, those are those moments when we have to kind of just keep, feet, keep our feet moving. Keep moving in a direction. And it may be that something like family history or something will come along that brings light or, or minister to somebody or something, but we're just we keep on moving until we're waiting for the clouds to break. And I and I think that's hard. I think that is the endurance part that sometimes we're enduring the fact we're enduring the no spirit times. We're in t- we're enduring the times when we're lost. Yeah. Yeah, and the Lord does direct our feet. And, and that plan may be different than what we thought, especially at times. Now, here's the other thing that I think often happens, and certainly it happened to Paul. In the middle of this gloom, and he makes his way across northern Turkey, and he wanted to turn and go northeast, and he wanted to go into upper part, more towards Syria. He's not allowed to go there. He's not allowed to go to Asia. So he ends up bearing northwest, and he gets over to Troas, right on the coast, and then it says, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. So in the middle of this, I just he kept moving. It isn't like he went back, I'm just going to go back to Tarsus and sit by the fire and, and not move. He kept moving. But at some point, now he gets to Troas, and then what happens? A vision comes. And in the vision, there's a man who says, please, please come to Macedonia. We need you. So he hops a ship and goes to, to Macedonia. And now for the first time, the gospel is about to be preached, not in Asia, but in Europe. This will be the first time the gospel is preached in Europe that we know. Okay. So, if you can kind of kind of see this. I needed my, there's uh, my little pointer. No. All right. I don't know where I put it, but okay. Um, if you look, uh, Troas uh, is is right. See Asia Minor, and Troas is right up in the corner here, still in Asia. And what he's going to be asked to do is he's going to hop a ship. Uh, off of Asia Minor and he's going to sail right up to the top to Philippi. That's where he's going. Uh, and so this is kind of the, the land between Asia over here and Europe on this side. And he's on his way. Uh, and so this whole area was known as Macedonia. Uh, Philippi being named after uh, Philip, uh, Alexander the Great's father. 
So he's on his way up to uh, Philippi. Um, now, let me do this then. So much happens here. I thought about trying how to put this into the PowerPoint thing. Um, but let me just say this. Um, do you ever have an experience uh, talking either to your siblings or to your own kids and you talk about experiences from the past, maybe a, a family trip that you took or, or uh, something that you did when you were younger and you start talking about it and they look at you like, well, that's not what happened. This is what happened. Real? No, that isn't what happened. You remember dad did, no, he didn't do that. Yes, he did. Okay. Or your kids are going, we used to always do that. And you're thinking, I, we never did that. Or we only did that once. And you start getting a sense of how people view history differently based on their own experiences. You have to kind of mistrust your own history that you tell a bit. Okay. Uh, two different narrators will tell two different stories of the same events. Okay, now, we're about to get two different narratives of, of these events. And one is an action uh, movie, and the other one is a love story. <laughs> Depending on who's telling the story. Okay, now... Right at the top here, this is uh, this is the, this is seventeen. I think the six, top of sixteen, uh, verse ten. So they're gonna. It says uh, ten. I'm, I'm coming over here. Uh, and he, Paul, saw the vision of the man coming to. Please come to Macedonia and help us. We sought to go to Macedonia right away. Okay. Well, that's a change. Who's the we? We sought to go. Here we here Luke. For the first time, the author, whoever this is, and we'll call him Luke. Uh, for the first time, the author of the book of Acts is going to insert himself into the story. Somewhere while wandering around in Galatia, maybe he was waiting for him at Troas. We don't know. The author of Luke, for a little period of time, is going to hop into the story and is there and parted with Paul. So now we're going to get after he saw the vision, we sought to go into Macedonia right away, determine, determining that God had called us to declare the good news to them. Um, okay. Now, by the way, do you know in some translations um, uh, that the, the, the good news is actually translated as God's news? I thought that was really kind of very cool. But uh, anyway. Uh, okay, so. Determining that God had called us to declare the good news of the gospel to them. Eleven. We set sail from Troas and sailed directly to Samothrace and the next day to the city of Neapolis and from there to Philippi which was a leading city of that part of Macedonia and a Roman colony. Now 
for, well, we're going, we're, we're going to get the first narrator here, and this is Luke. He's going to tell you the action story. And there's so much action here, and there's so much going on that I thought, I just, we just need to walk through this. There's the only other way we can do it. We just got to walk through this. Uh, and then when we get done with this, then we're going to pull out First Thessalonians, and you're going to get Paul's telling of the same story, and you're going to be amazed at the difference between the action and the love story. For Paul, this is a love story. And it's incredibly tender. Okay? All right. So from there, we're going to go to Philippi, which was a leading city of that part of Macedonia and a Roman colony. Okay, let me stop for a sec. The best way I can describe Philippi would be a little bit like saying, uh, if we said, Paul went from there to Gettysburg. That would be the best way we might understand what's about to a large Gettysburg. Why Gettysburg? In the Civil War, we tend to look at Gettysburg as the place where the South Rebellion kind of came to its halt and then went downhill after that. Okay. Well, in, the, uh, in Philippi, Philippi is the place of the Great Civil War. Yes? Am I too loud? She, she says too loud. Okay. Okay. So what happened? <laughs> no, this is Gettysburg. Uh, this, this is the place, uh, just from a Roman history standpoint, uh, and you all love your ancient Roman history, I know, so I'll just uh, go over it really quickly here. You, you remember that for years and years, Rome copied Greece as a republic. We're going to have senators. We're going to have a triumph. Uh, we're going to have a threesome that's going to run the country. Triumvirate. Is that the right word? Triumvirate. Triumvirate. Uh, and, and we get to the last one and Julius Caesar goes, nah, I don't think so. And he brings his army across the river uh, uh, and starts to move Rome in from a, being a republic public to be in the Roman Empire under an emperor. Well, remember the senators didn't like that, including um, uh, Brut Brutus, A2 Brute, right? We come to the Ides of March. They rise up, they, they assassinate him, they kill him, and that forms a civil war. And, and uh, Julius Caesar's nephew, uh, Octavius Augustus, is going to lead most of the army. They're going to have this massive civil war against Brutus and Cassius and those that had assassinated Caesar. They battle back and forth, and the final defining battle is at Philippi. This is Gettysburg. And in a sense, Philippi is the place where the Roman Empire dies and, and the, Roman, or the Roman Republic dies. And the Roman Empire, under powerful Caesars, is born at Philippi. So when he talks about this being a Roman colony, he ain't kidding. <laughs> this is also the place, and this, become, this is going to play a bigger role in just a second here. Um, part of the deal, remember, if you're going to be a soldier in the Roman army, 
how are they going to pay you? Well, you're going to get paid a little bit while you're fighting in the army. What, what happens when you retire? We're going to give you land and a pension. We're going to give you grain every month. We're going to take care of you. You're on, you're on the old soldier's pension. Well, the problem was is that Italy was filling up. There's a million people in Rome. We don't have, we got large armies. Where do we put all of our retiring soldiers? They started to be in places like Tarsus and Antioch. But when we get to Philippi, there were a lot because the war had ended there. Okay? So, Philippi is a very strong Roman colony. Up to this point, Paul's been preaching in Greek cities, Antioch, he's in Turkey, they've been doing Greek. Now he's in Europe, and it's about Romans, and we have a lot of Latin speakers, and, you, and the, the, whole, the whole thing changes here. You're going to see how this, how this works, okay? Uh, a Roman colony. We stayed in that city for several days. Now, let me stop for a sec. We've watched Paul so far. If, he, if Paul's going to go into a new town, where's the first place he's going to preach? In a synagogue, right? Because he, he believes this is, first of all, I'm going to preach to the Jews because they need to see that the law of Moses has been fulfilled in Christ. And he's going to start with the synagogue and then he's going to expand out to the God-fearers, those that were at the synagogue, but they weren't, they were more Greek-speaking people. I'll preach to them next. Well, we don't have any record, really, that they have found archaeologically in Philippi of a, any kind of Jewish synagogue. This is a whole new world now. We're now in Europe, and this is a Roman stronghold, and this ain't Greece. This is Romanville. And there are no synagogues that, that they've been able to find. So what does he do? Well, there were a small little group of Jews. And so what he's going to say is, uh, verse 13, On the Sabbath day, we went down into the, outside the city uh, near a river that was thought to be a place of prayer. And we sat down and we began to speak to the women who were assembled. So he's going to begin the preaching uh, and who were assembled. And a woman named Lydia who sold purple cloth from the city of uh, Theratyra who feared God listening. The, 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 who feared God means that she had she was a God-fearer, meaning that this was the closest they could come to a synagogue. There were people that believed in the Hebrew tradition, but it's interesting that they're worshiping down by the river. They don't have a synagogue. They're a loosely... Now, also for, uh, for Lydia, um, she is from the city of uh, Thyatira, which uh, in my research was kind of interesting. It said, in, in the past, these purple dyes came from boiling down shells, and they would get this, boil it down, they would get this purple dye that then they would use in royal coats and cloaks and stuff like that. And, and even in uh, the te uh, Temple of Solomon, these purple, purple dyes were really important. 
Well, they had developed a new process in the area of uh, Thyatira in the region of Lydia where they could actually get the same purple dye from plants. And so she was, her business was dyeing cloths into this purple dye that she had, that she was learned in the region of Lydia. And so it might be that they're calling her Lydia, but it might be the same as going, how you doing Texas? <laughs> You know, how you doing, Lydia? You know, was, it, was that her actual name? We don't know. But she comes from the region where there are dying purple dyes. And she's, had, she's got Hebrew leanings. She's a God-fearer. So this might have been the closest. We've got kind of an outdoor um, uh, kind of a Hebrew studying group. And they are primarily women. Why do you think they would be mostly women, do you think? Because women play an incredibly important role now in the next stretch. It's amazing how the proportion of women in the population grows when the men fight and have war and kill each other. Yeah, isn't it though? So there were great battles here and the, and the land was given to the soldiers. But even if they're alive and they've had limbs chopped off, or they had mortal wounds. And what was the life expectancy of an old soldier? Oh man, it's not going to last very long. So as they're dying off, you get the women, I think, that are, that are owning these lands, owning these properties. And the women play an incredibly prominent role here. And I think they lead up the house churches in this, in this part of the area. And they're going to play a role in the love story for Paul. I think. We'll talk about that. So, woman from Lydia sold purple cloth. And the, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying after she and her household whose household was it? Hers. Her, she and her household were baptized. She encouraged us saying, if you deem me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she persuaded us. So this wonderful lady. So she becomes, according to whatever records we have, and there might have been more, but this is the first recorded record of the first baptized Christian in Europe. And it's, and it's Lydia, the purple lady. Okay, now... 16, as we went to the place of prayer, a slave girl, oh, now we get, this is fun. Uh, a slave girl met us who had a spirit of divination and she brought significant wealth to her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us and cried out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Okay, now, wouldn't that be a good thing? Wouldn't it be nice to have somebody saying, the Mormon missionaries are in town and here they are. Come and listen and they will bring you salvation. That was on South Park. That, that was not, not South Park, right. <laughs> Would that be a good idea? This is, this is a Roman colony 
Who is the primary god in a Roman colony in 50 AD? Julius Caesar is the God. He is the Most High Father. Who is the Son of God? Augustus Caesar is the Son of God. That's why this is important. Because after they defeat Brutus and Cassius, he goes back and, he, and they make Julius Caesar a God and make him divine and they worship him. There are, there are Julius Caesar shrines in Philippi. Now they may also, to be honest, there's probably a, an Aphrodite and a Zeus and you know an Artemis and a Mercury and a Diana because they have lots of shrines but the one big one in a Roman colony to which we're going to pay the most attention is going to be the Julius Caesar shrine. So when she says, these are servants of the Most High God, Julius Caesar, who will proclaim to you the way of salvation. What is salvation in the Roman Empire? It's peace. We have brought, one of the reasons we're going to make uh, Julius Caesar a God is because he brought peace to the whole place. Okay, it was with war. <laughs> he killed everybody, but there's peace, and there's roads, and there's shipping lanes, and there is prosperity, and there is, he has brought peace and prosperity to the land. We should worship the great Julius Caesar because he put all the enemies underneath his feet. He is the most high God. Peace comes through armed conflict and winning. Okay? That's why it's going to be really weird when Paul's going to say, we worship a king. Really? Who's your king? Well, he was the criminal um, crucified on the tree. Okay. She did this for many days, verse 18, but Paul began to be annoyed. <laughs> well, put up with this for a little while, but okay, you're driving me nuts. Paul began to be annoyed. Then turning around, he said, he said, to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And the Spirit left at that moment. When the owners saw that the hope of their income was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and took them to the marketplace before the rulers. Um, by the way, who's now missing? Now Luke is gone. <laughs> Remember, this was before. We did this. We went, oh, nope, Paul and Silas. I think there's a moment here as they're being hauled off to jail that, that Paul probably says to Luke, run, go. It's going to be Silas and I. Because now Luke disappears from the story and he won't show up again until 1 Corinthians. <laughs> he's gone. But we had this little moment when he's there. But he's still going to tell the story. So this is all going to be secondhand from Luke. That's why this gets to be an action story. Um, they brought them before the magistrates. They said, these men are Jews and they are troubling the city. They declare customs that are not lawful for us to receive or practice because why? We are Romans and we worship Julius Caesar. 
Now, let me mention one other problem that exists here. And it's, it's kind of an interesting one. There were Jews worshiping in Philippi as there were Jews worshiping in these other places, okay? Who didn't have to worship at the shrine of Julius Caesar. They got an exemption from Rome. Who doesn't have to worship? How are we going to determine who doesn't have to worship at the shrines? They are the circumcised. The circumcised people don't have to worship at the shrines. Ah, okay. So we don't know so much about your religion, but we know you're the circumcised, so the circumcised are fine. You get a pass on, on, on uh, feast days that you don't have to show up. Great. What about the Christians? What are they telling their Greek and Roman converts? You don't have to be circumcised. In not being circumcised, they lost their exemption. We're not really Jews, we are Christians. We're not, okay, so then you got, well, great, now you need to come worship. If you're not going to worship, then, then we're going to throw you in jail. Now you're a problem. They're Jews, they're troubling our city, they're declaring customs, don't be circumcised, and don't worship at the shrines uh, to receive a practice because we are Romans. And the crowd arose against them, and the magistrates tore the clothing from Paul and Silas, commanded them to be beaten with sticks. After receiving many blows, they threw them into prison, gave the, gave the jailer an order to securely guard them. When he received this order, he put them in the inner cell and bound their feet in stocks. Now, someday, this is one of those millennial movies that if you're really wanting to get kind of pay-per-view, kind of celestial Netflix, when we get to the millennium, this is an episode I dearly want to call up because this is pretty awesome, uh, especially the way Luke is telling it, okay? So they're going to grab Paul and Silas. They receive minutes. They get beaten. Uh, they throw them in prison, give the jailer an order to securely guard them. He received the order. He put them in the inner cell, binds their feet. In the middle of the night, Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns. Okay, it's like midnight, and they're singing away in this hellhole. Okay, and then what happens? The prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly a large earthquake occurred, so that the foundations of the prisons were shaken, and all the doors were open, and the bands were undone. So in the middle of all of this, here come, they're, they're singing away, they're, you know, they're in this prison, their feet are in stock, and an earthquake comes and breaks the prison down. Uh, there is in Philippi only one prison that they can find, and it was a water cistern that got turned into a, a prison. And it's pretty, it's, 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 it's pretty stark when you look at it. Now, you've got to love this. So here comes the earthquake. The, and they can hear the guy singing and the jailer woke up and he saw the prison doors open and he drew his sword and do, to do what? Intended to kill himself. <laughs> 
He intended to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had fled. So he pulls out his sword. Paul cries out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself. We're here. <laughs> we didn't go anywhere. We're here. Really? Okay. So he asked for a light and he went down and fell at the feet of Paul and Silas, trembling. He brought them out and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? <laughs> now, we look at this in our Christian tradition, especially in Protestant tradition, they go, what must I need do to be saved? Well, you know, we see that as salvation. This was more basic than that. What do I need to do to stay alive? Because not only that, we saw, we heard about the thing with the with the the girl with spirits, and you guys are singing, and you have brought it. Who can bring an earthquake to a jail to get them? broken out of jail who can do that only a god can do that what must i do to be saved by you paul the god <laughs> kind of okay what must i do to be saved they answered well no believe in jesus christ you and your house will be saved okay so they taught him the word of the lord and to all who were where in his household. 33. He took them at that hour of the night and bathed their wounds. He and all his family were baptized right away. Well, I can teach them the gospel. We'll do a fast baptism. He brought them into his house, put food in front of them, and he rejoiced with all his household that he believed in God. Well, that's lovely at 3 o'clock in the morning after the earthquake. When the day came, though, the magistrate sent to the officers saying, Release the men. Oh, no, the, the men are eating at my table at my house. Okay, uh, release the men. The jailer related these words to Paul. I'm supposed to now release you. The magistrates have sent an order that you may be released. Now go in peace. Going, and we'll pretend that I just let you go, okay? But this is Paul we're talking about. He's not having this. Why? Because I think he's got other people in town that he would like to be protected from this kind of stuff. Paul responded to them. They beat us publicly and uncondemned. You kind of see him rising up in his little Paulness. They beat us publicly and uncondemned. Even though we are Roman citizens, they threw us into prison. Now they want to send us away privately? <coughs> no. <laughs> oh, no, you don't. <laughs> um, no, let them come themselves and release us. Tell the tell the tell the magistrates that they have beaten Roman citizens and that they can come and release them their own dang selves. <laughs> okay, see how this would make a great movie? Oh, it's just awesome. Okay. Then the officers told the magistrates these words, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. They went and apologized. Oh man, sorry. You know, we're going to really get us in trouble. Um, they went and apologized, brought them out, asked them repeatedly to leave the city. Okay, we're sorry, we're sorry, we're sorry. Just go, just go. Sorry, sorry. Ask them repeatedly to leave the city. Now, there's a little passive-aggressive in Paul. <laughs> they left the prison and entered into the house of Lydia. Oh, we're going. But we're going to go say goodbye to Lydia and some of our converts. 
And the and house of Lydia, and when they saw the brothers and sisters, they comforted them, and then they departed. So we're just, we're going to take our time leaving town. <laughs> okay? Um, then they traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia and came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue, a much larger Jewish um, population there, as was the custom with Paul. He entered the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he discussed the scriptures. So over three weeks, explaining and demonstrating that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This is Jesus the Messiah whom I'm proclaiming. Uh, some of them were convinced and joined Paul and Silas together with a large group of God-fearing Greeks who were in this Roman area and who else? A significant number of prominent women. A significant number of prominent women. But the Jews were jealous and gathered some rabble from the marketplace. I, I actually went over to, to Bible Hub, which had, lists all the different versions of all the translations, and they're all pretty united. This was rabble. <laughs> this was, let's, get, let's, get, let's go out into the marketplace and find a bunch of young thugs, and we'll gather the rabble together uh, from their marketplace. They formed a mob, initiated a riot. They attacked Jason's house, we don't know much, anything about Jason, trying to find Paul and Silas to bring them to the city council. Paul and Silas have disappeared. When they can't find them, they drag Jason and his brothers to the city administrators, and they're shouting, these men have put the world into commotion. Jason has welcomed them. They all oppose Caesar's decrees. They're not worshiping Caesar. There is saying there is another king who is named Jesus. They stirred up the crowd and the city rulers when they heard these things, then being the magistrates that they were, what did they do? Well, they took a deposit of money from Jason and others and released them. <laughs> we, we might be able to at least get a bribe out of these guys. So we'll get some money and we'll release them. Why? Because we can't find Paul. Where'd Paul and Silas go? We don't know. Here's the intrigue. So Paul and Silas are now kind of hiding out in Thessalonica, but they've had this incredible experience in Thessalonica. Uh, then they're going to, brothers, verse 10, they immediately sent Paul and Silas to Berea. During the night, they arrived at the Jewish synagogue. These were more, verse 11, this was, they were more receptive than those in Thessalonica, for they willingly received this, the message, received the scriptures carefully, uh, studying the scriptures carefully every day to determine if these things are true. They're going through Psalms. They're going through Isaiah. They're going through all of this. They're looking. Therefore, uh, many of them believed and a considerable number of prominent who? Greek women and men believed. From his moments of the Galatian flu and even having the experience in the prison, suddenly things are happening and people are studying and, the, and I think the light is, is just shining through the fog now because what the Lord has given him at the end of all of these, this bad stretch is suddenly he begins to have success beyond his dreams. Far more than he would have believed. Um, 
But when the Jews, verse 13, when the Jews from Thessalonica knew that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul, they went also inciting and stirring up crowds. The brothers immediately sent Paul to travel to the sea. So they sneak him out of town. They put him on a boat. Um, but Silas and Timothy remain there. They're really after Paul. Those who traveled with Paul led him as far as Athens. Uh, and after receiving a command from Silas and Timothy to come to him, they departed. Now, I want, we're going to talk um, next week about uh, Paul at the Areopolis um, in, uh, in Athens and, and what exactly happened at Mars Hill, and it's not what you think happened there. But before we do that, um, this is where I want to kind of leave Luke's story. This is how Luke pictures it, okay? So, reactions to this so far. What are we seeing? As Luke is telling the story, what's going on here? Oh, what I see is different reactions to the former prison being like Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot. He's getting they're getting beaten, they're getting put in prison, they're being having to sneak him out of town in the middle of the night. You get all these things. But underneath this, it's, there seems to be people accepting the church um, in, in a lot of areas. Okay? It's what? Yeah, the flu's gone. You know, he is. And, and again, I, I really do think that. Why um, don't one? I think one of the lessons that that comes out of this is the fact that the flu ends. If we keep our feet moving, the Lord has things in store for us that we can't necessarily see while we're in the middle of the flu, while we're really depressed and we're really anxious. The Lord has a plan in mind. And in, in the case of Paul, that remedy will come in the guise of the Thessalonians. Um, if we look at First Thessalonians, this is where Paul is now going to describe uh, his, his experience. It's going to be from his standpoint, not from Luke's. Now, let me just mention here, and I, this is the first part of the book of uh, Thessalonians in, uh, in the Weymouth uh, book. Uh, today, he says right at the top here, most scholars accept this book as the oldest writing preserved in the New Testament, making it the first Christian writing to be preserved. Um, in terms of order of things, he probably wrote Galatians first. But any copies that we have of the Galatians are a little bit later. First Thessalonians is the is the very first Christian writings that we have from Paul. Um, now, the the story the story is basically uh, this, and it will and, and it'll all kind of come together here. Paul is going to be hustled out of Berea Berea in the middle of the night. He's going to sail down with Timothy and Silas down to Athens. 
And we kind of had a feeling he was kind of heading towards Athens. If you're going to do anything in that area, you're going to Athens. You just are. But he's so worried about the people in Philippi and Thessalonica and Beroea. And he's so in love with these people that he's worrying about them. And immediately he, he says, I'm going to send Timothy and Silas back up to check on you guys. So all the things we're going to talk about next week, Paul on Mars Hill and all of that, his mind and his heart is, is up the coast about 100 miles, and he's just worried like crazy about these people. And Athens and then over to Corinth is going to seem so hollow compared to what he just experienced in Thessalonica. His heart is there. He's going to send Timothy and Silas back, check on them. He will preach in Athens. He will, he will then come down. It's about 60 miles down and over to get over to Corinth. He's going to preach in Corinth. And it's in Corinth that Timothy will find him in Corinth and say, here is what's actually happening back up there. And you're going to really like what you hear. It's going to be beyond your greatest dreams about what's happening up there. And 1 Thessalonians will be written by Paul in Corinth after he has received word back from Timothy. Okay? So, 1 Thessalonians. Verse 8. For the word of the Lord is sounded out from you, not only in Macedonia, but in Archaea. But the word of your faith in God has traveled to every place, and we do not need to say anything. Your example of who you are and what you're doing with this gospel is an example to everybody around you. What we're going to get in First Thessalonians is a love story. Chapter 2. For you know, brothers and sisters, that our coming to you was not in vain. Here's how he would put the whole experience with the prison in Philippi. Although we suffered and were treated shamefully in Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our, in our God to declare the gospel of God with much opposition. For our appeal is not based on error, impurity, or deceit, but we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. Uh, verse 6, Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or others, although we could have been a burden to you as apostles of Christ. Let me stop. How could, it, how could the apostles have been a burden on these people? How might they have been a burden? As a result, you're going to be persecuted in a way that wouldn't have we have if we hadn't have come, right? Okay, we could. Yeah. And in fact, if you look down at verse nine, uh, for remember, brothers and sisters, our work among you and our distress, working day and night, that we might not be a burden. 
So there was an idea there that they were probably making tents and things like that. They didn't want to be a financial burden as well as uh, a persecution burden. Okay. But back up here to verse 6. Uh, we did not seek glory from the people, uh, although we could have been a burden to you as apostles of Christ. Now, think about this. As we talk about our, our, our efforts to minister and the things that the Lord requires of us in our ministering or in our calling, this is, this is ministering. Instead, he says, we became like little children among you. Like a nursing mother for her children. Thus, having affection for you, and listen to this phrase. Wow. Having affection for you, we were pleased to impart not only the gospel of God to you, but also our own souls. We imparted the gospel, but we imparted our souls. Because you had become so beloved to us. Put that in different words. How do we... We're pleased to impart the gospel, but also our, our own souls. What, how would we say that differently? In our hearts. I'm going to... A lot of times the missionaries, when they give their coming home report, they say, we love those people. The best years of our lives, we love them. Yeah. Yeah. In other words, we open up not just we're going to teach you the gospel here, but we open up our heart. Where, and that's why I say we open up our souls. We're just so meshed with you. And I think that's really what happened. Now, here's my, here's my own belief on this. I think that if you go to almost any church congregation, and I don't, I don't, you pick the denomination, you're going to find mostly women. Numbers just say it's mostly women. Okay? I believe that the women of that area, maybe many widows and stuff like that, had imparted this compassionate, loving place that Paul just found to be receptive of the gospel, but also incredibly gracious and caring and loving in receiving these missionaries. And I think the, the female influence on that had made this a soft, tender place to, for it to be. And it was an easy place for him to open up his whole soul to these wonderful people. And they were faithful. That we have a we have a little bit of that. Remember in the Book of Mormon, where you have the anti Nephi Lehi's that all join the gospel in in droves, and and then when they're going to be attacked by the other Lamanites, they kneel down and allow themselves to be slaughtered, uh, and then they get word that they're coming again. They're going to get slaughtered again. And who is it that's going crazy and going? No, we can't do this again. It's Ammon. Ammon the missionary who goes, I'm not willing to see my beloved proselytes get slaughtered again. we got to go. Well, no, we're, we're not sure the Nephites will take us in down there in Zarahemla. No, I can't stand this. I love you guys too much. We're leaving. We'll talk him into it. I think I might know the king. <laughs> Maybe. 
I'll bet I can talk dad into this, but man, we got to get you guys out of town here. I don't want to see my beloved converts killed. I, th I think that's the same kind of sentiment when he talks about, um, we were pleased to impart the gospel to you, but also our own souls, because you have become so beloved to us. Okay. Um, and, and you just need to read through First Thessalonians. I, I, just, I tried to pick out just a few uh, little passages that give you a sense of what he's writing. And again, he's writing in Corinth. As we're going to talk about next week. You know what Corinth translated is? Fornication. <laughs> that's, that's, what, that's what Corinth meant. With all of the, with all of the um, temples in Corinth and the crazy stuff going on and kind of the temple prostitutes and everything, Corinth was just, it was just like Vegas uh, on steroids. And he's sitting in that place, but his thoughts and heart is with these people in Thessalonica. And he just sees the starkness, I think. And maybe this is the counselor in me, just look, trying to look at his heart and seeing this guy just this, this starkness between these people that just love and he loves them. And then he sees the coldness of what's going on in Corinth and the intellectualism of Athens. Uh, and, okay. Um, Verse 13, because of this we thank God continually that you received the word of God from us. You accepted it not as a human message, but as what it really was, the word of God who is working in you to believe. Okay? Look at 17. But when we were away from you, brothers and sisters, for a short time, in person, but not in heart, we were more eager and greatly desirous to see you in person because we wanted to come to you. I, I would come back right now, but remember I was run out of town in the middle of the night. If I show up, I bring more persecution on you and I bring more, and, I, and my life's in danger if I do that. I want to be in Thessalonica, but I can't because they're tracking me down. So I can, I want to be there in person, I can't but not in heart. We were more eager and greatly desirous to see you in person because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, wanted to come to you again, but Satan hindered us. And then this. Wow. For who is our hope, our joy, our crown to boast of before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. You are our glory and joy. Chapter 3, Therefore when we could no longer bear it, we decided to stay in Athens alone, meaning he stayed. I sent, I sent Timothy, our brother, fellow servant, to establish you and comfort you in your faith so that no one would be moved by these persecutions. Uh, for you know that this is our determined outcome. Um, verse 5, because of this I could no longer bear it. I, I sent to know about your faith. I just need to know. What was his experience in Galatia? 
They accept the gospel and then what happens? They backslide. Because of this, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to know about your faith. Uh, my concern was that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor among you had been in vain, just like it had been in Galatia. But, but, Timothy has come to us in Corinth from being with you and he has told us the good news about your faith and your love. He also told us that you always remember us with affection and long to see you just as we uh, to see us just as we long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have been comforted by you in all our distress and persecution because of your faith, because now we live if you stand firm in the Lord. How for how can we sufficiently thank God for you for all the joy we feel because of God uh, before our God because of you wow this is the Paul that is opening up his heart and his soul and loves these people uh, so and, uh, and again think of the starkness between those those weeks and months struggling with the Galatian flu of just not knowing where to go, being a mixture of angry and lost and hurt and not sure, and I think maybe some depression, and he was having eyesight problems. Remember, this is Paul. Paul at that, at that time was just struggling. And then what's waiting for him on the other side? The Lord's compensation. The Lord's compensation. I believe, and I, I've said it in a number of places, that uh, often in my counseling experience, I work a lot with people that have gone through some kind of trauma in their life. Uh, whether, it's, whether it's abuse or whatever. Great loss. But I always find that those who have gone through, especially a childhood of pain and hurt and struggle, uh, and you would think that that just isn't fair and that's just not right and, and why would God do this to, to somebody let him suffer almost always I find the more I get to know somebody I find God's compensating gifts to people like that there are compensating gifts for instance I have found in talking to a number of people that have struggled with trauma I find that in the rest of their lives, they become wonderful, empathic. And I use that word specifically, empathic. They seem to be able to read the pain of others when nobody else can see it. They sense it. They feel it. They're aware of it. And, and, I, and I will say to them, I believe the Lord has compensated you with a gift that you may not have gotten if you had not gone through what you went through. I wish you hadn't have gone through that, but maybe the silver lining here is that God gave you a gift that would enable you to feel not just the pain of others, but also the love of others. I can feel that, I can sense that, okay? I think the Lord compensates those that hurt. 
I think the Lord gives compensation to those that struggle. I, I just do. And we see it here that in the midst of Paul's struggles, he gets a vision. And the vision says, come help us. And when he goes, he finds a people that love him, that love him with their whole souls, that he loves them. And he finds the greatest joy in perhaps all of his mission experience in, in these weeks spent in Thessalonica. And it offsets, I believe, every... At that point, the Galatian flu would seem like a long ways away. So, so listen how he. So here's his. Here in in chapter four, verse ten. Here here's his final guidance and counsel to these guys. Verse nine. Now concerning this topic of brotherly love. You do not need to have anyone write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. 4, verse 10, For indeed you are doing this for all the brothers and sisters in all of Macedonia. We encourage you, brothers and sisters, to do this more and more. To aspire to live quietly. To attend to your own business. And to work with your own hands, just as we commanded you, so that you will live an upright life with respect to outsiders and not be dependent on anyone. Wow. And then, then he, he's going to complete this with the one that we've always heard. It's right at the end of uh, chapter 5. Greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. So, I think it's interesting that if you simply if you simply read Luke's account in Acts, you see an action story. It's one that if you're teaching a, a bunch of 12-year-olds, they would love the intrigue. Sneak him out of the night, throw him on a boat, sail him over here, and they're and they're the the people from the town are going to houses and rifling this whole thing, trying to find these guys, and the brothers are like moving them around. I mean, it's it's a great story, but it's not the real story. Paul's telling you the real story. He saw all of that as superfluous. The real story is these people that I came to love deeply, and that they loved me, and together we love the Lord. Uh, it's just amazing to me. So, all right. Comments on all this. Craig? I'd like to share an experience we had last week. A week ago, Sunday, we, one of our little grandsons was getting blessed by his father, and we went up to Prosper Ward up there. It just happened to be a ward conference, and the bishop was speaking, and I was paying very close attention. It seemed like he'd done a lot of research and thought, and, you know, it was... The more I got into that talk, I mean, he, he broke down in tears several times, and he was communicating with the audience something fierce. Wow. People were in tears, and even the state president who seated on the stand was in tears. And when he finished, you know, then President Platt stood up and he said, Brothers and sisters, I concur wholeheartedly with what the big man, he went overtime, he went 10 minutes past the hour. And, he's, and he didn't give his talk, President Platt. Then he gave a few minutes to the, to the Relief Society president. Anyway, my, uh, my son's married to a Jew. She's a member of the church now, but both she's pure blood Jewish. Both her parents are Jews. 
afterwards, I came out, Mitch was sitting right in front of me, the other grandpa. And I said, Mitch, what did you think of that talk? I said, wasn't that, I said, that was like listening to the Holy Ghost give that. And he says, yeah, he says, there's something different here. He says, I, and I go to my church and he says, it's like they're just preaching to you. Here, it's like they're talking to you and you feel. So, yeah. he felt it. And that, and that, that reminded me of what I felt there was listening to Paul, that, that love. You could tell the bishop was just. The, the, the power of a loving bishop who's had, had those experiences uh, and the power of those of us who have been through those kind of moments. It just, there's a bonding and a connecting that is just like nothing else. Yeah. You want to repeat that again? Just a little, maybe a truncated version louder? Can stand up? Yeah. Craig, you're wanting to hear, man. You have to tell him. He's very sensitive to the spirit. He's a state president. We just had a work conference up there. My grandson was being blessed. My, my son is married to a Jewish girl. And uh, <clears throat> remember the church, they're all still born. Children are born in the covenant. But both of his, both of her parents are very Jewish. And anyway, Bishop Brown gave, a, gave his work conference. He gave his talk. And, uh, and the, the more he got into it, you could really, he was talking about ministry. But he, it was like listening to the Sermon on the Mount. It really is what it was like. He broke down in tears several times. I was looking at Richard, and he was in tears. And then, uh, as he, the more he got into it, I just thought, boy, this is powerful. I mean, it, it could have been a general conference talk. It was that powerful. And then the state president stood up, and he says, I concur wholeheartedly with what was just said. He mentioned a couple of things, and he turned the time to the Relief Society president for a moment, and they closed the meeting. He'd gone over 10 minutes, the bishop had. But afterwards, I came out. Mitch, the other grandpa, he was sitting right in front of me there. He comes to a lot of the baptisms and so forth. And uh, I says, what did you think about that talk? I says, it was like listening to the Holy Ghost. And he said, yeah, there's something different here. He said, I, every, he said it's, if I go to my church, and it's like they're preaching to you. He says, I felt something different. It's like they're just talking to you, conversing. He felt the Spirit. So. Ah, nice. That, that's why ultimately, um, and, and let me just kind of finish with this. There is, there is something I think in saying. Um, let me just repeat this again from Paul, and and we'll close. Instead, we had become like little child among you, like a nursing mother caring for her children. Thus, having affection for you, we were pleased to impart not only the gospel of God to you but our own souls because you had become so beloved to us that's my prayer that we find a way in our ministering or we find the way in our relationships with other people to find our to, to be able to share not just the gospel of God but we share our whole soul because I think that's how people recognize and are changed by the Spirit is oft times through us. Especially when we encounter those that are struggling at the moment with Galatian flu and do, do, doesn't feel like the Spirit can penetrate. And their heads are telling them they don't deserve anything. You may be that light. You may be that vision to them in the midst of their struggles. I pray that we can do that and I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Let's see. Cindy, could you give us a closing prayer? Our dear Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the opportunity that we have had 